Hello, I'm Jonathan Smith. I'm the lead pastor at One Church TO, and you're listening to the teaching time from our weekend gathering. We're an imperfect community of over 70 nationalities and five generations who are attempting to follow and shine Jesus in the greater Toronto area. Our vision, it's so simple. We want to help people from all walks of life know God, love people, and in turn, impact our city for good. We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging, and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening. Well, hey, One Church Teal, and welcome to our new series called With or Without a Mask, where we're diving into five experiences that COVID can't stop. And looking back this year, we, we may have noticed and been a part of COVID actually stopping quite a few of our experiences, like graduations, family gatherings, weddings and funerals but i'm glad to say that these next few weeks we're actually be diving in to the opposite we're going to be talking about the five things that covid hasn't stopped and pastor jonathan and i are kind of going to be tackling how covid hasn't stopped our ability to feed our soul even though we can't gather physically but before we start i want to debunk a myth and it's this myth that when it comes to our personal spiritual experiences that those are reserved for introverts. And our corporate, like gatherings like this, spiritual experiences are only for extroverts. And that is not true because God created all of these spiritual experiences for each and every single one of us. And we're gonna dive in a little bit deeper to see how that's true. And when we look at our personal spiritual experiences, we realize that it's here for two things. It's here to breed intimacy with the Father, and it's here to power and move us in those corporate spiritual experiences. And when we look at the Bible, we see multiple examples of where Jesus, the greatest teacher, actually dives in to these personal spiritual experiences. We see that he creates time to go by himself away from the disciples, whether it be after he performs miracles or before he's making a big decision. He, he retreats in these moments to just spend some time with his father. And a, a good, another example where we see this is David. And in Psalms 142, we see the level of intimacy in his prayer. And I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I find myself praying in more of a wish list or a thank you card manner. And David in this moment really sits down and he has a conversation with God. He lets God know really exactly how he feels. And not in a disrespectful way, but in a way where he, he's relaying this, this feeling of, man, I feel like there's nobody on my side. And through this prayer, he becomes and starts to realize that God is there with him and that in this dark cave that seems like there's no hope, that seems like there's no way out, he finds refuge in his father in these personal spiritual experiences. And it's, it's really relatable when we look at the time that we're in and how this COVID experience has maybe felt like a dark cave to a lot of people, but rest assured that when we dive into our personal spiritual experiences, we can find refuge in our heavenly father. So the next question that we have to ask ourselves is if we know that these personal spiritual experiences lead us into a more intimate place and lead us to be better for others in corporate gatherings, how do we dive into spiritual experiences on our own? 
And there's three ways, and you probably know these ways, and it's going to sound simple, but we'll dive in about how it's simple said, but hard to do. And these three things are reading, praying, and worshiping. And when we look at those three things, we see that, just like I said, it, it, it sounds simple. It's like, yeah, I can read, I can pray, and I can worship, but I want to change your thinking and I want to challenge your thinking right now because we're thinking that reading, praying, and worshiping looks the same for all of us, but it doesn't. And that's the greatest part about our personal spiritual experiences. And the best way that I can break it down to you is let's, let's think about Plato, okay? It might bring you back to junior high or elementary, but Plato was this awesome thing that you can mold into anything. And now picture a cookie cutter, Okay. And with that Play-Doh, we're going to call that Play-Doh our prayer, our worship, and us reading. And we're going to call the cookie cutters us, all of us. And the greatest thing about it is the cookie cutters come in different shapes, different sizes. And when we press it against the Play-Doh, it creates a shape that is fit for that cookie cutter. And that's kind of like how our personal spiritual experiences are. We can mold them to fit who God created us to be. And the greatest part about that is understanding that our situations in life, they sometimes change. So a practice that might be good in this season may not be good in that season. And when we look at this Play-Doh, when we press it in and create that shape, we're able to mash it back up, put it back together and create another shape. And that's exactly how our personal spiritual experiences go. So as we dive into a couple examples, we're actually going to take a look at my household and how we engage in personal spiritual experiences between myself and my wife. And the first one that we're going to look at is reading. I love a physical copy. I love being able to mark up, highlight my Bible. But my wife, on the other hand, she prefers the virtual aspect. She loves reading it on her tablet or on her phone because she's able to have curated Bible reading plans and the sense of community as she's going through those reading plans just gives her life and gives her joy. Another thing she enjoys is having the Bible read to her audibly as she's going around the house, as she's doing homework, she's able to just read the Bible. But speaking of reading the Bible, we actually are going to journey together as a church community in a Bible reading plan about intimacy with God and how we can get more intimate by reading, praying, and worshiping. So jump on. The link will be dropped in the chat and journey with us as we seek out intimacy with our Heavenly Father. The second thing that we're going to look at is prayer. We tend to differ in when we pray. I'm a morning person, so I'll wake up and I'll pray in the morning. And my wife is not a morning person, so she would rather pray in the afternoon or evening or right before bed. And one of the things that I've actually seen really effective in my prayer life is whenever I feel like prayer is getting a little stagnant, I'll drop a chair in front, sit down in another chair, and actually act like Jesus is sitting in that chair and having a conversation with me. And I find it's a really good reset button if I find myself in a routine of prayer. So I want to encourage you with that. If you find yourself in a routine of prayer, Try slapping a chair down and pretending that Jesus is right there having a conversation with you. 
lastly, when we look at worship, and this is probably the area where there's the biggest contrast between my wife and myself. And when it comes to that, my wife is so much more outgoing when it comes to worship that during physical gatherings or during gatherings online, she's up, she's dancing, she's clapping and she's singing. Sometimes she's even playing along to the worship with the guitar. And when it comes to myself, I'm engaging. It's just, I'm probably clapping a little bit lighter and singing a little bit lighter as well and engaging in moments like that. And that, that's so interesting to see when we look at all of those things, read, prayer and worship, how both my wife and I, we, we attack it at different angles, but it's amazing how we end up coming to that one goal of just being able to engage in our heavenly father and being able to, just like we talked about earlier, grow in a more intimate way with our heavenly father and two, being able to prepare ourselves a lot better so that we can enjoy our corporate spiritual experiences more. So I have a quote for you that I want to encourage you to go with this week and honestly, not just this week, but go with as you're diving into your personal spiritual experiences. And it goes like this. It says, God created your personality language and not only that, but he speaks it. So don't be afraid to go to God as you are. And that's my encouragement to you. Don't be afraid to go to God as you are because he is your creator. He's our creator and he created us in, in our specific ways to have the personalities that we have. So it's only right that we complement our spiritual experiences that are personal with that. So as we move a little bit further in this gathering, we're about to sing a song. And as we sing the song and worship, I want you to be reminded and I want you to be thinking about this question. And this question is this, how can we utilize our personal spiritual experiences to better ourselves in moments of community just like this? Well, what a great morning at One Church TO already. Thank you, Pastor O'Shea. You know, I'm not going to forget that phrase, slapping down the chair. I love that idea of putting a chair out and talking to Jesus. And you gave us such a great framework that can work with our particular wiring in any way to feed our own souls when we're all alone. And I love that because, you know, I love the fact that, and I, I hope you captured this in his talk, that God speaks your personality. I, I love the fact that he gets you. You ever feel like, man, nobody gets me. He gets you. He knows you. And he's able to meet with us right with the way we are presently wired. And so COVID-19 may have been able to stop us from physically gathering, but it cannot stop us from feeding our souls. And listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, it's critical that you learn how to self-soul feed. That you learn those skills to feed yourself. Why? Well, because if you come to gatherings like this or even a community group or an alpha group or something like that and you're spiritually starving, uh, you know, you're going to be very disappointed. You're going to be very disappointed. You see, you can't binge eat once a week in a gathering meeting like this and expect to be spiritually strong and spiritually nourished. That's not a strategy for spiritual growth in your life, to binge each once a week. We need to learn how to eat throughout the week. See, some of the problems in a lot of Christians live very anemic lives spiritually because they look for a gathering moment to do what an alone moment should do. Here's what feeding kind of looks like. We can feed our souls all by ourselves to a degree. 
There are limitations. You cannot fully feed your soul in isolation because you were designed and made for community. But the inverse is true too, though. We can feed our souls all together in gathering moments like this to a degree. It's not enough to carry you through the week. So I like, you know, those alone meals are interesting. You know, I was thinking about what, your, what is your guilty pleasure? What kind of food do you kind of have when you're all by yourself uh, so nobody else sees? And it's your guilty pleasure. Go ahead, jump in the chat room. Tell us what your guilty pleasure is. Here's mine. Here's mine. I, I, love, I love the Big Mac combo. Now, you know, Shelly, I don't think she's watching right now, so that's good. Like, I'll, I'll get this sometimes, but I got to eat it before I get home. Because if I get home and my wife sees this Big Mac combo, she'll be like, how old are you, Jonathan? How old are you? Should you be eating this at your age and stage? You know, that's, that's the place I'm at right now. But I love this. And here's the thing. When you're eating a meal by yourself, you can eat whatever you like. Whatever you like. And that's part of the problem. Spiritually speaking, if all of your meals are alone meals, you start to develop appetites for certain things and not the full menu of what God has. What I mean by this is, you know, we can find ourselves spiritually saying, okay, when, a, when we're talking about blessing and success and breakthrough, uh, I'll take that. Thank you. Mm. Oh, yeah. I'll take that. But, but when we're talking about suffering and lament, uh, I'll pass on that one. Or if we're talking about forgiveness in heaven, mm-hmm. oh, I love that. But if we're talking about sacrifice and challenge and mission, well, uh, I'll pass on that. See, Paul knew this. And the Apostle Paul talks to a church in, that would have been situated in modern-day Greece the Corinthian church. <coughs> Sorry, this fry is cold and it tastes terrible, but I'm eating it because I love you guys and I'm trying here. And in modern day Greece, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, if you can turn in your Bible to that, verses 17 to 30, they had an improper vision for what gathering moments were intended to do and how you feed yourself in a gathering moment. And in fact, this portion of scripture is centered around the Lord's Supper, or what we call communion here, or you might know it as the Eucharist, called many different things. It's a gathering moment where Jesus is at the center. And for some reason or another, it's getting distorted here in this church. They've got a wrong vision around gathering moments. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, five times in those verses, 17 to 30, there's a Greek word that Paul uses and it's roughly in English translated together, together. You'll notice there, if you go in that text and you just circle the word together, you'll begin to see it. But at the root, the word means, and it has a little bit of a different emphasis at different places, come together, unite together, even connect together. And we call this act of the Lord's Supper, we call it communion, communion. Communion is connecting things that would have been fragmented by themselves. But instead, they're made whole through the connection. So communion at its sense means we have a common union. See, that's what's beautiful. I don't, know, I don't even know who you are necessarily, but I know this, that we have a common union. At one base level, we've all been made in the image of God. We're all fearfully and wonderfully made. At another level, if you're a person of faith, a follower of Jesus, Jesus is our common unifier. A lot of people look for unifiers in this life, and I understand that. We're designed to look for those unifiers, but beware. 
When a church or a follower of Jesus makes something other than Jesus the common unifier, if they make it the style of the church, the style of the worship, the, the preference, if they make it about their tradition, where they've been, all of those things, that's not strong enough to unify us across all the cultures and generations and our gender and everything else that makes us different one from the other. What is strong enough to unify across all of the diversity is Jesus is the common unifier among us. So when we gather, it's to connect to Jesus and to connect to each other. Now, Jesus would say to his disciples, this last meal, this is really instructional and helpful for us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he starts by saying something very familiar if you've been around church for a long time. He says, this is my body. And he's holding up, not a French fry, but a piece of bread. This is my body, which is given for you, which is for you. Do this, can you say this word? Do this in remembrance of me. Remembrance of me. What is Jesus saying here? Well, at the core of that word remembrance is the word remember. Now, remember means like uh, don't forget, right? You know, you bring it, call it back into your memory, right? Recalling it. So Jesus is saying at one level, hey, when you gather, remember my death and resurrection. Why? Because without it, you don't have a connection to God. It's principle. So remember the sacrifice of Jesus and remember the victory of Jesus. The sacrifice of Jesus and the victory of Jesus. Next weekend, Pastor Keith is going to lead us in a moment to remember the sacrifice of Jesus and the victory of Jesus in a communion moment. But it goes more than that because the opposite of remember is not forgetting. The opposite of remember is actually dismember. Dismember. So in other words, Jesus is driving at something that's far richer when he says, do this in remembrance of me. Don't forget the sacrifice and the victory that I purchased for you, but also to recognize that whenever you gather in my name, you are remembering. You are, the Greek word would be grafted, sown, fused in to the body of Christ. In other words, Something that was not a part of you has been made a part of you. And at the core of that word remember is the word member, which means body part. So here's a summary thought. When we gather, we are remembering. We are remembering, reattaching ourselves to Jesus and to this community. So when we gather in moments like this, we're remembering ourselves to the person of Jesus. We are remembering ourselves to the One Church Theo community. This is my family. This is my spiritual community. And I'm remembering myself to it. I'm connecting myself to it. It's individuals connecting to a community. But there's a problem in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. There's a problem because when people are gathering, different things are happening. In fact, Paul calls it out. He says that there's divisions and conflicts among you. Now, you got to understand the Lord's Supper or communion back in that first century, uh, there's part elements of it that looks a little bit like what we do now and some that don't look at all like we do now. First off, communion was a very joyous time. It wasn't uh, fearful, like in even sometimes reverent to the point of being very careful. It was, a, it was a celebration of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it would often happen at the end of the gathering, after the worship or the teaching is done, much like we do it in our gatherings. Often it's at the end of our gathering. 
But what was very different is they didn't have a, a cracker and a, a little bit of juice to commemorate the death and resurrection of Jesus. They celebrated it with a full meal. I mean, they would have packed a full meal before they left the house that day to come to church, and then they would sit down and they would eat the entire meal in commemoration of Jesus' death and his resurrection. So that's what it would have looked like then. But here's the problem, and Paul tells us what it is. He said, for some of you, hurry. That's an interesting word. Hurry is often a posture in our hearts that is contrary to the one that will lead us closer to Jesus. So for some of you, hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others. As a result, some go hungry while others get drunk. And this just is understanding that they had excessively more than they needed. Some didn't have enough. Others had more than they needed. What's going on here? Well, Paul's saying, listen, there's a group of people that are detached and aloof from the community. They come and they get... And they leave as quick as they can. Why? Because they have a lower view of what the community is. Their posture is about receiving. As opposed to the larger narrative, which is obviously when we gather, there is a sense of receiving for sure. But there's also a larger narrative of giving. There's something about giving into these moments that gives us a vision for others. Gives us a vision that stretches us beyond ourselves. Primary gatherings are primarily not just about receiving, they're also about giving. So some people didn't have enough to eat and others had more than enough. See, there would have been rich people and they had more than enough to pack, to bring for the Lord's Supper, and there would have been very poor people among them that didn't have quite enough to eat. And some of them are getting excessively drunk because they're, 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 they're just taking in and using all the bounty that they have for themselves. Now, be careful. If you've been a follower of Jesus for a long season, this is going to be a temptation you have to push against. Because the longer we're in Christ, the more we make it about us. It's kind of a gravitational pull. We make it about us. And when I say us, it might be us as an individual, but it might be us as a church community. And we make it about us. But here's the truth. No matter who you are, if you're a follower of Jesus, no matter what's going on in your life, you have been lavishly blessed in that you have been entrusted with the gospel, that you have this connection to the living God. And so how can, that, how can these gatherings just be about us? They need to be about sharing the riches and the bounty of what we have with those who don't have, whether it's tangible, temporal needs, or whether they are eternal gospel needs. And so our generosity predisposes us to have a vision for others. So Paul goes on to say, and Paul kind of stands in judgment over them, he some of the harshest words you'll read in the New Testament he shares about this church because when they're gathering, there's conflict and division among them. They're not serving one another. They're not looking vote for one another. They're looking after themselves. So he says this, for if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, we are the body of Christ. The gathering of believers is the body of Christ. So if you're eating or drinking it without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. Now, what, what is he saying here? That, well, listen, here's the gospel. The gospel is that you and I have been saved by grace, not by works. And that's good news. 
What that means is everyone listening to me, we're all on a level playing field. Not one better than the other. It doesn't matter. Outside of this gathering, you might be prestigious. You might be someone that has great status or pedigree outside of this gathering. But inside of this gathering, it doesn't matter. Because inside of this gathering, friends, it's neither male nor female, Greek nor Jew, free man or slave. We are one. We're on the same level playing field. It's by faith we've been saved. It's grace that has saved us, not works. So there's this, there's this level playing field. And if you know the gospel, you know that already. The divisions that were happening in this church, in the Corinthian church, you can read about it in chapter 11. You can read about it throughout this entire book, as well as the second letter written to the Corinthian church. At the heart of it is the same thing that's at the heart of every one of our divisions with people. Pride. Pride was at the heart of it. Paul's saying, listen, if you have divisions among yourselves... Don't, don't dare take the Lord's Supper. Why? Because you're a walking contradiction of the gospel. Uh, we received freely grace. We have received forgiveness freely. While we were yet enemies of God, Jesus came and died for us. And in turn, when we experience the riches of his grace, we're to give that away. But Paul doesn't stop with that one judgment verse. He goes on to say this. This is why, what is why? The divisions and conflicts we keep living with. These, these uh, uh, competing agendas, all these things that cause toxicity, disunify or break up the body of Christ. This is why many of you are weak and sick and some of you have even died. Now, this was a verse that would scare me to death as a kid. I was growing up in church and I'd hear this and we'd often be asked to examine our hearts because I'd be thinking like everything that I might have done wrong and all the evil or the filth that might be inside of me and I don't want to drink this and I don't want to drink judgment on myself. I don't want to... And, and what I didn't realize then and what 1 Corinthians 11 is all about, it's all about relationship actually. And I thought it was all about personal Purity. And of course, that's important too. But you got to understand, every time you read a scripture like this, you need to read it against the lens of the entire scripture. So Paul's not contradicting what he said in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, when he said, there now, now there is no condemnation. Can you say those words out loud with me? No condemnation. Say it one more time. No condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ Jesus, the punishment for your sins is no longer uh, put on you. It's been put on Jesus. He has borne it for you. He was punished so that you might be freed. He was, he was put down so you could be lifted up. That's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. However, what Paul is saying in this passage is, if there's someone among us who's harboring a grudge or bitterness or even unforgiveness, if in some way you would somehow get a little bit of delight, if someone in, 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 a, in a leadership circle in this world somehow uh, fell on hard times, or if, or if somebody tripped up in your life or someone tripped up around you and somehow you get some sort of delight out of this, what he's saying is it means that maybe, maybe you are a sinner saved by grace, but you're sure not living like it. And it's a warning. It's to, it's to be careful that you cannot maintain a grudge or you cannot maintain 
bitterness while remembering yourself to Jesus. You can't do it. You're living below what Jesus has called you into. One of the most often repeated commands in the New Testament, in the entire Bible, one of the most uh, often repeated commands is fear not. Fear not. But one of the most often repeated commands in the New Testament is three words. Love one another. Love one another. But I, I don't feel like it. It's a command. <laughs> I, I didn't know it was attached to our feelings. <laughs> Here's the beautiful thing. Your, act, your feelings always follow your actions. And over and over, John says it, Paul says it, Jesus says it, Peter says it, love one another. In other words, I think it's repeated so many times because I think they knew we would not, we'd feel like we didn't get the memo. <laughs> we get the memo that actually we're to love one another, to love Jesus and to love others. And the litmus test of how loving I am is not towards the people that rub me the right way. It's not towards the people that make me automatically smile. It's towards the people that I disagree with. The people I trouble with, I can see the measure and depth of my love in how I experience them and how I act towards them. See, here's the thing with gathering moments. Gathering moments, you know, our alone moments is us making a meal for ourselves, and Pastor, uh, Pastor O'Shea was helping us with that. But in gathering moments, it's more than that. In gathering moments are more like potluck moments. It's me making sure that not only did I bring something but I've also brought something for you. That, that I'm thinking of, a, I have a vision for others in these places here. That I've opened the bag up and I've pulled out more than enough just for me. I'm also thinking of you. So in, in these digital gatherings, it's a little more difficult than in the physical ones. Because in the physical ones, it looked like touch. It looked like noticing people. It looked like maybe praying with people. It looked like an ability to, to worship, but listen, in the virtual gathering, it looks like jumping in the chat room. It looks like worshiping God. When, when we're singing, you're adding to the spiritual climate by worshiping. It's like when Pastor O'Shea is teaching, if you're a seasoned believer, and you, you know this, you know about reading the Bible and worshiping and stuff, and you're listening to that. So then you begin to pray. You begin to pray over that. Why? Because it's not just about what you're going to get out of the gathering. You're going to make sure you put into the gathering, that you're giving into it. The posture of your heart is to serve the people around you. Listen, you need a vision for how much you've been given if you're going to have a vision for how much you'll give. You need a vision for how much you've been given to actually have that type of vision for how much you can actually give. I share grace only because I have received it. I have received so much grace over the years, friends. Trust me. Not only does Shelly know, Jesus knows even better. I give freely of my resources and what I have because it was given freely to me by God. I give a listening ear to what the Spirit is saying. When I gather with you in community, this is why it's so critical. Listen to the teaching moments, whether it's Pastor Keith or myself or O'Shea, because what is happening here is the Spirit is speaking to our community. I'm a flawed person, just a human vessel. But as I pray about what I should share with you, I'm waiting for that igniting of the Spirit where the Spirit is saying, this is what the community should be hearing right now. So listen, it's not about whether you've heard it before, it's about what is the Spirit saying to us as a community. I give out of the overflow of what God has already given me. I give praise to God because He's worthy of it. And I give love to others. 
whether they're worthy of it or not. They're worthy because they're made in God's image. I'm not worthless, but I'm unworthy of his love, but he gave it freely to me. I'm not worthless because I'm made in his image and nor is anyone that you interact with in this life. Friends, so COVID can stop us from physically gathering, but COVID cannot stop us from gathering in the name of Jesus. And when we gather in Jesus' name, we gather to give. And when you gather, here's how you feed your soul in moments like this. Our souls are fed as we participate in the gathering. Friends, if you're going to view the gathering, and it's even harder because you almost have to be more disciplined when you're viewing it on a screen than you might in the physical realm because there's a sense of peer pressure in the physical room where if other people are worshiping, I'll worship, or other people are clapping, I'll do that. You almost have to be more disciplined, don't you? Like, I'll be with my family on a, night, on a weekend that I'm not speaking I'll be with my family, and uh, they already know I'm kind of laser-focused on singing. I probably sing way too loud, but I am so determined to find myself in the space of gathering with you that I'm not viewing from the peripheral. I'm in it with you. I'm right there with you. When Pastor Keith is teaching, I'm taking notes. I'm connecting. I'm listening. Why? Because I'm in that moment with you. What is the Spirit saying to us in this moment? See, we need a vision for togetherness. Not just to banish loneliness, although that's a fringe benefit. We need a vision for togetherness as a community because we can't possibly live differently in this world. The world is so attractive and has so many conflicting values and many of us live inside of it and we live those values out in a way that maybe even grieves the heart of God. And we're missing that because without community, we can't possibly live this life that God has called us to. See, we need a community that at its base is fighting against the power of evil in this world, that power of evil at work in us and around us that is fracturing people and destroying friendships. You know, listen, death may have been defeated on Easter, But I'll tell you this, we all know this, it's refusing to go quietly. It's still stalking us. It's still reminding us it's there. Every conflict we see, every sickness we see, every time we see a friendship destroyed, that's evil at work, evil at work in this world. So it's not whether or not evil exists, it's how are you going to deal with it when it comes your way? This is the power of community. See, the danger is that you think church is about a moment you gather sing a few songs, hear a message, maybe pray, and leave encouraged. And you know, at one level, I hope that for you. I hope you leave here today encouraged. I really do. I hope you leave here challenged though, because at a real, very real level, the church is Jesus' idea. It's his idea of a community enlisted a peaceful resistance movement against the evil that is in this world. And so every time we gather, the church is enlisting you to be a part of the peaceful resistance for all the evil and toxicity we see in this world. That's why we don't return evil for evil. That's why when someone's rubbing us the wrong way, we look for Jesus to help us uh, forgive and to give grace and to love despite what we might feel. Friends, when we gather, it's time to learn and practice. Learn and practice how to love Jesus better and learn and practice how to love each other better. You know, we, you've heard Pastor Keith for years. 
in this setting, and you've heard me for years say, One Church Teal, we love you. We love you. And we do. And it's not always easy, right? Because we're all different, and we're all at different levels of health and brokenness and wholeness. But you know, even the most difficult people to love that might be a part of the church community, I can genuinely say I do love them. I love them because God has given me a love that can cover over sins, that can cover over transgressions. That doesn't mean you're not unwise. You should be wise in your relationships. But how can we posture our hearts to feed our souls by participating in these moments and feed our souls alone? Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful, we hope you join us at one of our campuses if you're in the GTA for a weekend gathering. If you're listening from somewhere else in the world, we'd encourage you to join us at onechurch.to slash live. We believe everyone can be a part of what Jesus is doing both in our community and in our city. So if you'd like to connect with us at a deeper level, visit us at onechurch.to slash next steps. See you next time.